Today, I want to begin today, I want to read you some quotes about the Bible. First one from D.L. Moody. The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. Very, very creative, good, good thought there from D.L. Moody. Or how about this one from Mark Twain, everybody's favorite author. It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand that bother me. You know, you got to think about that one for just a minute, but very smart on Mark Twain's part. Or how about this one? George Carlin, the comedian. Uh, I was thinking about how people seem to read the Bible a whole lot more as they get older. Then it dawned on me that they were cramming for their final exam. Uh, maybe some of you need to think about that. Zig Ziglar is a motivational speaker. Uh, I read the paper every day and the Bible every day. That way I know what both sides are up to. God and the devil know what they're both up to. And this last one, it, if the Bible said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I would believe it. That's from uh, once Secretary of State William Jennings Bryan. And, and you know, th those uh, quotes just show the respect that a lot of people have for the Bible. And we need to have a respect for the Bible. I remember some years ago there was a story about Mae West, the famous actor back in the 20s, and she walked in the room where W.C. Fields, another actor, was sitting at a table reading the Bible. Of course, he's not known for being a holy guy. And she said, what are you up to, W.C.? And he said, looking for loopholes, my dear, looking for loopholes. And, you know, there are no loopholes. We need to know what it says so that we can strive to please God and live out what the Bible says. But increasingly, in our culture, People do not read the Bible. And, and we have all kinds of ways to get the Bible. You know, they don't even listen to it. And you have it right there on your phone. You could listen to it while you're driving down the road. Uh, we have so many ways to look at the Bible in our world today. But increasingly, reading of the Bible is diminishing. There was an article in Christianity Today magazine some, uh, this past year. And it was about a survey taken by the American Bible Society in 2022. And they said that before that, from 2011 to 2021, a survey they took showed that 50% of Americans read the Bible at least three times a year. Now, even that is not very good. That means 50% didn't read the Bible, but 50% of Americans read the Bible at least three times a year. A year. That's not very good. But they redid the survey in 2022, and it showed that only 39% of Americans read the Bible at least three times a year. That means 61% of the people in America don't read the Bible at all or read it very seldom now in the times in which we live. And the Bible is so important. Now, the survey did say that more than half of all Americans said that they wish that they read the Bible. You know, you can make that come true. You know how to do it? Read it. <laughs> uh, but we need, to, we need to be more concerned 
about the Bible. Today we're continuing our series called uh, Back to Basics of the Faith, and we're talking about the Bible. And you know, Bible knowledge has increasingly dropped over the years, and that's partly because people don't read the Bible. In fact, Jay Leno did one of his man-on-the-street interviews with some people in California, and he asked a couple of girls that were walking down the street, college-age women, he said, can you save one of the Ten Commandments? One girl said, yeah, freedom of speech. He asked another lady, he said, uh, can you complete this verse out of the Bible? Let him who is without sin, go ahead and say it, Pass the first stone. She said, uh, have a good time. Uh, let him who's without sin have a good time. Then he asked this man on the street, he said, can you tell me who in the Bible was eaten by a whale? Immediately the guy said, Pinocchio. You know, that's where we're at in America. Bible knowledge is diminishing and everything. So we're going to, you know, as part of our Back to the Basics, we're going to talk about the Bible today. And my fear is that many people don't understand and don't see the importance of the Bible because they don't know what it is. So that's the question we raise today. What is the Bible? And you hear people say all the time, good book. Well, it's a good book. Well, it is a good book, but it's more than just a good book. And then you hear people say, yeah, but it's just written by men. It's just on par with any other book. It may have some good advice in it, but it's just a book written by men. And then I'll hear people say, I love it when people say, uh, well, it's full of errors and contradictions. And you know what, my, if you've been around here, you know what my response would be to that. Show me. Show me where an error or a contradiction is. And so we need to think about those things today. And I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now it's written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was actually in prison in Rome. This is the second time that he was in prison when he writes this letter to Timothy. Timothy is ministering to the church at Ephesus. And Paul writes him a letter because Paul, according to chapter 4, Paul's fear that his life is coming to an end. And he wants Timothy to carry on his work that he's done in spreading the gospel, and he knows that Timothy needs to stand firm in the Word of God, in the Bible and the teachings of the Bible, and he wants to make sure that Timothy carries that on. So when we get here uh, to chapter 3, verse 16, here's what the Apostle Paul says. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, we're going to take that one verse today, and we're going to sort of use it as an outline to help us. Man, I've got a piece of bread or something, a poppy seed or something. I think that came out of the communion bread. I hope that's where it came from. I had to get that out of my mouth. Okay. Don't let that distract you. Let's get back to the Word of God here. Okay. So let's think about, first of all, the names for the Bible. It calls it the Scripture here, right? All Scripture, it says. So if you notice, if you have an NIV version, and some other versions do this, the S is capitalized. That means it's talking about the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed, it says. 
you go back just one verse to verse 15, it calls it the Holy Scripture. And holy and Scripture are capitalized. That means it's a proper name. It's the name for God's book, God's information that He has given to man. Now, in the Scripture, there are a number of ways that the Bible refers to itself as God's, uh, God's writing to man. And the first one I want us to talk about is the Word. It's often called the Word of God or the Word of the Lord. And if you read the Bible, you'll see that you have to look at the context because sometimes it's talking about God's spoken Word and sometimes it's talking about God's written Word. And sometimes it's even talking about God's Son, who is Jesus, who is called the Word made flesh. And so you have to look at the context of the verse you're reading. But it, God's Bible is sometimes referred to as the Word. And then there's the law. And sometimes the Bible is referred to as the law. When the apostles ministered on earth, all they had was the Old Testament. They were busy working and they ended up writing the New Testament along with some of their cohorts that worked with them. But before that, they had the law. And so sometimes it speaks of the law of God or the law of Moses or the law and the prophets. And sometimes it's just law for short. Now, the law is actually the first five books of the Old Testament. But sometimes they use that to refer to the whole of the Bible that they had during that time. So sometimes it's referred to as the law. And then, as we saw here in 2 Timothy, sometimes it refers to as the Scripture. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. He's talking about the Apostle Paul, and he says this, His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. So what he's saying here is, Paul's writings are scripture. Just like the Old Testament scripture. They're all scriptures. So sometimes the word of God is called the scripture. Now, I want you to listen to this verse, and we're going to put it up on the screen here. Follow along with me. This is John uh, chapter uh, 10. Verse 34 and 35, Jesus answered them, it is, not, is it not written in your law? Notice he's calling it the law. I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside. Now, you'd have to read that whole section to understand what that. But the point I'm trying to make is, in that verse, Jesus referred to God's Bible as the Word. He referred to it as the law. He referred to it as Scripture. So, three names for the Bible that we have in the Bible, the Word, the law, and Scripture. Now, let's think about the origin of the Bible. Verse in 1 Timothy says, all Scripture is God-breathed. So let that resonate in your minds for just a second. So we think about the origin of the Bible. Listen to what Denver Sizemore says in his book, 13 Lessons in Christian Doctrine. In a court of law, the most important evidence as to the author of a will 
is that the will is what the will actually says itself. If the will states that John Brown is an author, it takes considerable evidence to prove otherwise. This, is a, this principle holds true also in determining who is the real author of the Bible. If you think about somebody's last will and testament, if they say, you know, this is the last will and testament of John Brown, it's hard to disprove that, that John Brown didn't write that last will and testament. It's the same way with God's testament, his New Testament and his Old Testament. He says that he is the author of it, that he gave the words to the people that wrote it. So, it is received from God. And as I said here in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, it is God-breathed. Now, what does God-breathed mean? Uh, it means that God gave the words to those authors. And if you think about that for just a minute, you have the Old Testament part. And several times in the Old Testament, it reveals that God spoke directly to people he was, uh, he was encountering there. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, he spoke to them in Genesis 46, 2. And God said to Israel, that is Jacob, in Exodus 20, verse 1, just before God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And it says, and God spoke these words. And he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Over and over in the Bible, uh, if you have a King James Version, you'll read the words, thus saith the Lord. That translates in the NIV in modern English. It'll say, this is what the Lord says. And it's an indication that God was speaking directly to those prophets to whom he gave the words. So God spoke to people and gave them words. You get into the New Testament part of the Bible. And it was written in Greek, of course. And uh, in, in the Greek language, the word breath and spirit are the same word. Pneumos. And that, or pneuma. And that word means breath, or it can mean spirit, it can mean air. We get our word pneumatic from that word, pneuma, and, you know, anything that's pneumatic has to do with air. You, you may have an air drill, it's a pneumatic drill, it's powered by air, or, or some kind of a, a, a impact wrench will be powered by air, it's a pneumatic wrench. And so that word, God breathed, means that God's Spirit put those words in the people that wrote the Bible. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 3 says, verse 4 and 5. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight, this is the Apostle Paul, into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So Paul's saying, look, the Spirit of God, the, the pneuma, put these words in us, gave us these words that we write. And in 2 Peter 1.21, Peter says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God directed His people, His prophets, His apostles, into what they said and what they wrote down, in which we now have together as the Bible. So God gave the words. You know, all of the Old Testament writers are 
all referred to as prophets. They all give credit to God for giving them the words that they wrote down. In the New Testament times, he had apostles who were specially appointed by Jesus to be his messengers. And they wrote uh, most of the, of the New Testament. Some of the people that worked with them wrote parts of the New Testament. But the whole New Testament has what we call apostolic authority. That means it was written in the days of the apostles, and it was written either by an apostle or someone that they approved of that worked with them that was part of their team. It's God's Word. There's a lady sitting in church. Uh, her name was Susan Wright, and she had a Bible laying beside her, and her daughter was sitting on the other side. And her daughter looked down, and she whispered to her mom, Is that your Bible? Mom said, yes. She said, did God write that? She said, yes. She said, wow, he's got really neat handwriting. But we know that God didn't put the words on the page. Men have done that. Men, and it's been copied, and it's been given to us and printed. But God is responsible. God, so to speak, is the author, even though though. He didn't put the words on this page. He put the words in the heart of the men who put the words on the page and it has worked his way down to us. Now let's go back to our verse, 2 Timothy 3.16 and get the third part of our outline here. So Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So think about what this is, what it's saying. It's useful for us. It's useful to teach. What is teaching? Imparting wisdom and knowledge. Showing people how they ought to, how they ought to think. Uh, rebuking. You rebuke your child when your child does something wrong. The Scripture is useful for us to rebuke somebody who violates God's Word. So it's useful in that way. It's useful for correcting. That is changing someone who has wrong thinking. The Bible will change your thinking if you read it and if you're outside of God's will. And training in righteousness. That word righteousness, you don't usually hear that anywhere except in the Bible unless you're an old rock and roll fan and you like the Righteous Brothers. But, but righteousness just simply means right living in the eyes of God. And, and so it teaches us how to live the right way. This is what the Bible is useful for. And there's a reason why it is useful for that. Because I'm going to give you three I words. And these are things, these are characteristics of the Bible. First of all, it is inspired. You know, we have, we have just seen that it was given to men by God through His Holy Spirit. And so that means that God inspired what they wrote down on the page what they have given to us as the Word of God. It is also inerrant. Now you say, wait a minute, it's inerrant. What does that mean? That there's no errors in the Bible. Now somebody might say, well, yeah, there is. Moses killed a guy. Isn't that an error? Yes, but God intended to use that story to teach us something. The Apostle Paul persecuted the church. Isn't that an error? Yes, but God put that in there. What it means by inerrant is that everything that's in it, God wanted in it. 
It's not stuff in there because man wanted it in there. It's in there because God wanted it in there. And he wanted to use all of it to teach us and guide us and help us become the people that he desires for us to be. So it is inerrant. That's why it is important that we have good teachers and that we have people to oversee our teachers. That's why the Bible teaches that the church should be overseen by a group of elders, not one person. I'm not in charge of this church. I report to a group of elders, and we have a a plurality of elders. We have a number of elders so that we all work together to make sure that we don't get outside of the will of God and we don't misteach the Bible, that we hold each other accountable. So the Bible is inerrant. Now, I want to read for you another verse. It's kind of long, but I want you to follow along with me. We'll put it up on the screen. This comes out of Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You get this? God says it will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire. God's word will do what he intended it to do. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. That makes the word infallible. So it is inspired, it is inerrant, and it is infallible. In other words, it will accomplish what God wants it to do. Now, a lot of people don't like the Word of God, especially people that are caught up in a sinful lifestyle or living a lifestyle that's different from what the Word of God teaches. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe it. I mean, there was a preacher that was called to a town out in the West in the early days of the United States. This town was booming. It was growing. They built a church, and and they got this preacher to come out and be their minister. And this town was a, a lumber town, They had a logging business, and they turned logs into lumber to help build all the building that was going on in the West in the early days. And this preacher, you know, they began to like this preacher, and he preached strong sermons. And so he goes out to visit some of the guys that were working, and there was a river where they floated logs down the river, and several different companies used this river, and they would put a brand on the end of the log, for their company so they could float logs and they would know which log belonged to one person. But he went out to the river one day to meet with some of the guys and there he saw some of the guys in the church and they were catching the logs before they got to the lumber yard and pulling them up and cutting the end off of them and putting their brand uh, where should have been another brand. And so he went back and he wrote a sermon and he got up that Sunday and preached a sermon, Thou shalt not steal. Well, after the sermon was over, everybody just praised him. That was a powerful sermon, preacher. Good sermon. We we appreciate it. We love you. It's great. 
following week, he goes back out to the lumber yard. There's the same guys from his church cutting the end of the log off, putting the brand on the end, putting the logs back in the river. So he goes back and he preaches the same sermon. Thou shalt not steal. But this time at the end, he put a, a different twist on it. He said, that means thou shalt not cut the end off a log and put a different brand on it. Well, after the service was over, they ran that preacher out of town. See, some people don't want to hear what the Word of God says. But it is. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible. Now, let's think as we close out here about the evidence for the Bible. And one of the most important evidences for the Bible is the prophecy that's in the Bible. And so much of the prophecy has come true. Now, people think that prophecy is all predicting the future, but prophecy means speaking forth the Word of God. Only 5% of the prophecy in the Bible is predicting the future. But there's a lot of that prediction that has already come true. And there's some that's yet to come true. But there are over 300 prophecies about the most important figure in the Bible, and that is Jesus Christ, who's called the Messiah. And you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and it points to the Messiah, the son that will be born that will crush the head of Satan, Genesis 3.15. But there are other <clears throat> prophecies about this Messiah who are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The place of his birth was foretold. Uh, his forerunner, which is John the Baptist, his betrayal, uh, that he would die for sin, uh, that not a bone would be broken when he was crucified, that he would be buried by a rich man, that he would be resurrected. All prophesied in the Old Testament. Over 300 prophecies have come true and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That points to the fact that this is the Word of God. Another piece of evidence is the unity. You go from the beginning of the end of the Bible and you read and you study and you start to feel like you're hearing one voice. Although the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, 66 different books written on three continents, there is this continuity, this unity that runs through it. And all these authors are trying to show that God loves his people and that he cares for his people and that sin gets in the way of a relationship with him, but he sent his son to be a sacrifice to take away our sin so that we can restore our relationship with God. And then there's the testimony. The testimony of the authors. Testimony that they record of other people that told how God worked in their life. And the testimony of changed lives. Some of who are here today. I bet everybody in here has a story about how the word of God has affected them and changed their life. And so there's testimony. You know, it comes in handy to know Scripture. It really helps you in your time of need. There was a, a mother, her name was Miranda. She wanted to bring her kids up right. She taught them to say please and thank you. She taught them Scripture and helped them memorize verses of the Bible. One day, her little four-year-old son, John, he was getting a little restless, and it was raining outside, so she got down in the floor with him and started to wrestle in the living room. And 
and uh, he started getting a little rowdy, so she thought, i got to usurp my authority here. So she pinned him down on the floor. And he's sitting there wiggling, and he says, I, I want out, Mama, I want out. And she said, what do you say? Thinking he's going to say, please, Mama, let me up. And he said, Exodus 8-1, let my people go. So at least he used the Bible to help save himself. Here's the connection. The Bible is the trustworthy word of God given for all people to know his will. And it's through the Bible that we really get to know God. We really get to know Jesus Christ. We really get to know why we were put here and how God wants us to worship and how God wants us to live. You know, as we close out today, I want to read uh, some excerpts from a book Brett McCracken has written a book called The Wisdom Pyramid. And in this book, he talks about his dad and his dad's Bible. And he said he hardly remembers, uh, there wasn't a day when he didn't remember his dad reading his Bible. He said his dad had this big, thick Bible, and it was full of bulletins and, and all kinds of Sunday school lessons, and it was scribbled on in every page. There was some note written, and highlighted with a highlighter and he said his dad just just used the Bible he taught Sunday school and he would teach family devotions and he said he really gained a respect for the Bible because of his dad and what his dad taught him from the Bible so when he got to be an adult the Bible became a big part of his life he said when I was growing up I was always going to Bible school Sunday school I was always going to vacation Bible school and memorizing Bible verses. Wednesday night, we had a club where we memorized Bible and Scripture. Uh, we sang a song, he said. Some of you will remember this. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Anybody remember that song? Uh, yeah. If you don't, you should learn it uh, because it's important. Uh, to stand on the Bible. He said, it shaped my life more than anything else. But I like what he said as he closes out. And my story isn't unique. The Bible has been a treasured resource of truth and life all over the world across countless generations. It manages to speak to the soccer mom in San Diego as much as the truck driver in Kiapi. It guides the life of a skateboarding teenager in 2020, Buenos Aires, as much as it did a blacksmith in 1520, Liverpool. Everywhere you go in the world, people who share almost nothing else in common can say in unison, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. This can be said of no other book in the world. No other source of truth is as universally beloved and consistently cross-cultural as the Christian Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that is the book for me. It's Scripture. It's God-breathed. And it's useful. So use it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you today for your word given to us. Your law, your Scripture, your Bible. It's given to us for a purpose, Lord. It's given for us to use, to come to know you, 
to know and understand your son Jesus and what he did for us. And Lord, we pray that you help us to be a people of the book. Your word talks about the Berean church and how they were faithful to research and dig into the word of God so that they would make sure that they got things correct. And I pray that you help us to be a people that look to this basic book, this basic of the faith, that we begin and live our journey as we seek to serve you as a people who know the Bible. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray and praise today. Amen.